Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. In 1924, Witness Lee was dynamically saved by the Lord as a young man in his native China, and he promptly consecrated the rest of his life to the gospel. He co-labored with Watchman Nee for parts of the next three decades. And in 1962, Witness Lee was led by the Lord to come to the U.S. in California. During his 35 years of service to the Lord in America, he ministered in weekly meetings and weekend conferences, delivering thousands of spoken messages. He gave his last public conference in February 1997 at the age of 91. We're happy today to be able to bring you recorded excerpts from his speaking and encourage you to contact us if you have any further questions or comments. Just send email to radio at lsm.org. Now let's join today's show. All of us are used to thinking of David as perhaps the most valiant of the great men of the Old Testament. From his youth when he was fighting off lions and bears as they attacked his flock of sheep, to his triumph over the mighty Goliath, to his fearless warring against all the enemies of Israel once he was king, it seems that David never backed away from a fight. Yet when his own life was being threatened by the evil King Saul of Israel, When given the chance to defend himself, his only action was to flee. He would not lift a finger against Saul, even when it seemed that Jehovah had delivered Saul fully into his hand. The why behind David's refusal to avenge himself of Saul is most enlightening, and it's the subject of our life study today from 1 Samuel. Bill Lawson has joined us for our fellowship. Bill, good to have you here for this program. It's good to be back, Chris. Bill, talk about the background a little bit of what we're about to touch today in terms of the storyline, because as we're seeing, these stories from Samuel are particularly rich as being uh, good illustrations of things that we learn about, we realize in the New Testament, but these stories are very helpful, aren't they? Yes, very much so. Of course, we have a background here of this King Saul, who, uh, outwardly speaking, is like head and shoulders above everyone, and he was the one that God wanted to use for his kingdom— But we realize very quickly that he was not the proper king, and eventually the Lord had to go after another king, and eventually that was David who would be the proper king. Yet David was quite exercised in that he did not try to fight or usurp the position that the Lord had given to Saul, even though there were many problems with Saul. So we have a situation of here of how we as believers should behave and conduct ourselves when we're faced with unrighteous situations, with persecutions. Mm-hmm. Things don't seem to be what we think they should be. Others seem to maybe have a position, yet they are possibly usurping that position and, uh, and carrying out things that are not according to God, yet we may be in a situation where we have to live with that and we have to bear that. So there are a lot of lessons for us to learn here of how David behaved himself in this uh, persecuted and unrighteous situation. Uh, As we look at the life of David in these uh, preparatory years, preparatory to his actually becoming king, we see many lessons that really illustrate that the Lord is training, perfecting, uh, really shaping him for the vessel that he would become, and this one that was most useful, not just for that period in time, 
but ultimately for God's entire eternal kingdom. David, very useful, plays a significant part. And so these lessons that he's learning and these circumstances he finds himself in are very valuable even for us to see parallels in our own Christian experience, our own situation. You mentioned, Bill, that here's David, and he's suffering a lot of unrighteous behavior by Saul. An awkward situation has evolved. Saul still occupies the kingship, but David has already been, in a sense, anointed, uh, selected by Jehovah, by the Lord, to be the king. And in many ways, he was much more kingly by now than Saul was. Yet Saul occupied the position. And that dictates a lot of... uh, David's action and behavior, doesn't it? Right. Uh, I think what you said earlier, Chris, is quite good. The fact that through the ages, God perfects different ones through different means and through different environments. And many of those environments are not pleasant. In fact, they're unrighteous. They seemingly are not according to God's heart's desire. Yet the Lord places us many times in environments that are outwardly unrighteous and do not seem to fit in with what we think how things should go. So there are many lessons for us, even as believers today. How do we behave in these kind of environments? What is our attitude? What is our defense, if any? Or how should we act when we're faced with these uh, very, very difficult situations? And I believe it has has many implications on how we as believers should live before the Lord today. Okay, at this point, we're going to pick up the reading now in 1 Samuel chapter 19, and then we'll go on uh, to chapter 21 here in a few moments. Saul now is feeling very threatened by David without any cause. David was no, posed no threat to him, but Saul realized that David had uh, gained the heart of the people. He had gained the heart of Jehovah, uh, and even uh, Samuel had told him quite directly that David would be the king. And Saul had been promoting his own monarchy, and he even had his own desire that his son Jonathan would replace him or succeed him eventually as king, uh, showing really what was occupying his heart was the desire for his own kingdom, his own monarchy, rather than really uh, building up God's kingdom. And uh, now we have this sort of competition between the two, where one is very active and one is very passive. And in this environment, in this difficult environment, Jehovah is so sovereign and raises up a provision for David, even within Saul's own household. Saul had these two children, Jonathan and his daughter, Michal. That's right. The Lord provides in a marvelous way, in spite of all this persecution and attack, uh, the Lord really provided a Jonathan and a Michal, Saul's son and daughter, to really help David through this very, very difficult situation. And many times, God does this in his sovereignty. I've selected just a couple of verses here to illustrate how the Lord is going to use these two to be the provision for David in this circumstance. Verses 1 and 2, And Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, took great delight in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to kill you. Now, therefore, be on guard in the morning. And stay in some secret place and hide yourself. Then if we jump ahead to verses 11 and 12, Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and kill him. And Michal, David's wife, now who is also Saul's daughter, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, in the morning you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he went away and fled and escaped. So here we see Saul's own children being the provision 
at the hand of Jehovah for David's safety. Let's join Witness Lee. One point should impress all of us. That is, through all the time under the persecution of Saul, David didn't do anything to avenge himself. What he did was only one thing, to flee, to flee. And the strange thing is, Saul was trying the best to get David. But Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan, and he has a daughter by the name Michael. Both of these two, the son and the daughter, did their best to help David in his fleeing. They two became the best spies to David. They could get the direct information from Saul that uh, David could know what Saul would do. So David was provided by God sovereignly some kind of uh, information. Isn't this something? God's sovereignty can do and would do everything. So no wonder David was not that much troubled. Of course, if you read Psalms in his fleeing, you could see he was quite bothered. Yet, in spite of the bothering, he did have the peace, the rest, even the heart to present to God his pieces. Marvelous. Here is one lesson that we all have to learn. In the church life, there should not be such things. No rebellion, no anger, no arguments, no fighting. There should not be any flesh. Just flee. If you would flee, God will send angels. Interesting here, uh, Bill, to consider David in this light that he put it in at the very end, uh, in the church life, which means in our church experience, or the whole church community experience that we live in as believers today, David would have had plenty of cause to lose his temper, to rebel against Saul, to, to argue with him, to fight against him, to you know preserve his own life. But his action was really quite opposite. He fled, certainly some distress and turmoil, as he pointed out, as we see when we read David's Psalms. But at the same time, there does seem to be this uh, sense of uh, peace and tranquility to the extent that he still has praise for Jehovah in his heart. Quite a different pattern than uh, we might expect. Right, it's really so. You mentioned the matter of the church life, and of course Brother Lee mentions the church life. In our community church involvement, we can really see many times, even with other believers in the Lord, the situations arise many times that can cause us to be tempted to lose our temper, to fight, to argue, to backbite, to avenge ourselves, to even fight for our cause. Yet when we get into the, the situation inwardly, we sense we lose the Lord's presence. Right. It seems like we, it's yeah. like the, the Lord's kingdom is over. The Lord's uh, grace is just finished. But when inwardly we take the cross, we bear the cross, we live a crucified life, within us we have the peace. Of course, we're taking this principle there from First Samuel. David, 
in his situation, did not fight. He did not try to vindicate himself. He didn't get into that realm. Yeah. And yet he had the peace within because he realized God's sovereign provision was for Jonathan and Michal to help him through the situation. So many times it's a matter of time. We realize that things will be set right, but it's many times it's not according to our timetable. No indication here that David recruited uh, Jonathan and Michal to, to, in a sense, act as spies against their own father. It's just this was uh, Jehovah's sovereign provision for him, wasn't it? Their hearts both were attracted to David, drawn to David. Michal even becomes his wife. And now they're in a perfect position to know what their father, who has really been taken over, in a sense, by uh, God's enemy, was plotting and scheming against David and were able to give him the kind of information where he realized The Lord is caring for me, even in this unfathomable situation. Right. There was no plot. There was no conspiracy. There was not a collusion between uh, David and Michal and Jonathan to overthrow the kingdom there under Saul. David really lived with the peace within. Relating that now further, in this coming section, we'll see this point developed uh, significantly. Relating it to the church life today, the church really being the manifestation as much as it is of God's kingdom on earth. And there's an interesting verse that Witness Lee will use in this coming portion from Paul's writings in the book of Romans in the New Testament that tell us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So outwardly, it seems that Saul occupies the kingship. He's sitting on the throne. That's really uh, purely in appearance sake. In reality, by his behavior and his conduct. It's obvious that David was really bearing the testimony of the kingdom, wasn't he? Exactly. That's very clear. Because in Romans chapter 14, you have the context of that uh, community uh, church life there in Rome. Right. Because Paul is writing to the congregation of the Roman believers there. And when he gets to chapter 14, he's talking about the kingdom all of a sudden. He's talking about a kind of a church life from Romans 12. Then he goes into the kingdom in Romans 14. But he says that reality of that kingdom is not fighting, arguing, getting Mm -hmm. even, trying to gain revenge from even other believers in the Lord. But really, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. And that is a real parallel to David's situation. Okay, let's see this point developed as we go back to Witness Lee. The church life is God's kingdom. Like Romans 14, 17 says, God's kingdom is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. No rebellion, no fighting. If there was, that is not the church life. David was wonderful. He never fought. He never did anything to respond to Saul's persecution. The only thing he did is to flee. To flee. You know, to avenge is a matter of the flesh. To fight back is a matter of the flesh. To be mad, to lose your temper. That is of the flesh. Actually, Paul tells us, when the sin is over, your anger should be over. No anger should lost. In the kingdom of God, the flesh has to be ruled out. Galatians 5 first it tells us our flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against our flesh. Then it tells us 
those who are of Christ have crucified their flesh. Anyone who is partake of things of the flesh have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. If you are a partner of the flesh, you are through with the kingdom. You have no share in the kingdom. Now, the church is the kingdom of God, and there must be the divine authority. And there must be a kind, nice outer. David, he did not dare to overthrow this outer. Saul fell into the hand of David, but David would not kill Saul. David only cut the corner of Saul's cloak because Saul was God's anointed. There was a divine order, imposition. Saul was the king, appointed and anointed by God. So Saul was the divine authority. David did this to keep the God-ordained order of authority among God's elect. If he rebelled against Saul, then when he became the king, people would take him as an example to rebel against the God-appointed king. What he did was to keep a good order among God's people. Bill, for those who uh, may have forgotten this story, it's quite significant. At one point in Saul's uh, pursuing David, even attempting to kill him, the Lord seems to hand Saul right into David's hand. David stumbles across him in a cave, and he's there sleeping, taking a nap. And David has, uh, you know, the spear, and here's his enemy, the one who's trying to kill him unrighteously. would have been so easy and uh, for David to take Saul's life right there, assume the kingship for himself, and uh, solve all of his problems. But his way, again, demonstrates this matter of uh, the reality of the kingdom and the importance of such things as maintaining God's proper order. Pick up the story here and help us uh, with the application. Right here, Chris, it's really marvelous to see how David behaved. David, here, the very one who was trying to kill David was handed into, uh, in a sense, the lap of David. David could have done anything he wanted, could have killed Saul in a minute, but David was living under this reality of the divine authority that for a certain period of time, uh, Saul was the divinely appointed king by God, and David could not touch that. Even though David realized the errors and the problems and the failures of Saul, still David kept that principle, realizing this was God's divinely appointed authority, and he dare not do anything against that. Even he just touched Saul a little bit, the piece of Saul's garment, even that caused David within to be somewhat bothered and even to do a little bit of vindication yeah. within us, even if we want a little bit of revenge many yeah. times, even in our situation, That's right. right away within our spirit, within we lose the peace. And we realize even to go a little bit to vindicate ourselves, we've gone too far. Wow. So this is a real lesson for us, especially as believers. As you were telling there to fill in the blank here for our, our listeners, David, rather than taking Saul's life, just cuts a little tip or a little corner off of his cloak in order to demonstrate to Saul once he wakes up that, look, I could have had your life. This is to show you I really am not a threat. But even as you said, that somewhat troubled him inwardly, didn't it, to, mm-hmm. to even go 
that far. Right. Talk about these three things quickly again. The righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit as being the real characteristics of the reality of the kingdom. Chris, Paul there in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 14, he says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness there, it's interesting, the three directions, righteousness is toward ourself. In other words, if we live the kingdom life, we are not strict with others, legal with others, we're strict and legal with ourself. That's the proper attitude we take toward ourself. When it comes to the peace, the peace is for others and toward others. We should always, as believers, maintain the proper peace with the other people, with other believers in the Lord. And then also you have the joy, and the joy is toward God. We should always have a rejoicing spirit towards the Lord, realizing that the Lord is sovereign in anything. So towards ourself, we're strict. Towards others, we have the peace. And towards God, we are full of joy. Then that is the reality of the kingdom. And in a sense, that's the reality that David lived during the persecution of Saul. It's marvelous to take this kind of a view of an Old Testament story and realize that right before us, the Lord is really illustrating these New Testament truths or these aspects of the divine revelation that are really brought out in the New Testament. But these Old Testament stories, we'll see more of this in our program uh, on Monday. These Old Testament stories really are marvelous uh, in their application, aren't they? They really are. And Bill, as long as I mentioned the coming program, uh, which next week we'll uh, get into, it comes back to this story because this story is really uh, illustrative of, of two big points, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right, Chris. Uh, we have to realize as believers we need to learn two lessons from this whole portion of the word. Number one, we have to realize despite injustice, despite things that may be seemingly not right, uh, things shouldn't go this way, we need to realize that God has a sovereign provision just as he provided a Jonathan and a Michal to David to help him through an unrighteous situation. Number two, we also have to realize that we cannot fight, we cannot avenge. Even the Lord said, vengeance is mine, Mm. I will repay. So the second point is that we should not fight, argue, contend with others, and this and that. We should just live a life under the killing of the cross. That means, as believers, we should live a crucified life, crucifying our flesh, our temper that rises up, and living a peaceful life in the kingdom of God, and eventually things will be made right. Bill, so much of our uh, Christian life and many of the books that we read and much of the ministry we listen to, it seems to have the point of trying to bring us to where we can change our environment, get out of this kind of situation. But oftentimes, if we're successful, we may miss these two great things that God really has in mind in bringing this environment to us. Don't you agree? That's right. We miss God's provision for us, and we miss the cross of Christ that the Lord has also provided for us to live the proper Christian life. Then we're fully at peace. Whatever environment we're in, we're at peace because we know we are doing things according to God's way. Bill, normally we have three sections, but I feel quite satisfied that we've touched what was on the Lord's heart and his burden for this program. So I think uh, with the help of your fellowship today, we've covered it, and I feel quite good. How about you? Yeah, very good, Chris. If you'd like to contact us about getting these printed life study messages so that you can follow along and cover all the points that we miss uh, when we run out of time, we hope you'll contact us. Our toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. And you can ask about receiving the printed volume of First and Second Samuel. 
Our mailing address, if you'd like to write to us, is Living Stream Ministry Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Bill Lawson, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find more about Witness Lee, these life study messages, or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God, and the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.